Welcome to PwC's weekly accounting podcast series. I'm Heather Horn. Today's episode is a continuation of our special series of episodes to keep you posted on frequently asked questions surrounding the counting impacts of COVID-19. Today's focus is CECL. Joining me remotely from their homes are PwC partners Chip Curry and Christophe Cadu. They're going to help us think through some of the elements of the guidance given the rapidly changing environment. So Christoph, Chip, thanks so much for joining me again today for this podcast. Definitely interesting times, and I didn't expect to have you back so quickly to talk about CECL. Before we get into things companies should be thinking about in the current environment, Chip, can you just give us some background on the overall credit losses model? Sure. So ASU 2016-13 was issued, and it replaced a whole, a whole bunch of impairment models, including the incurred loss models that we had. So CECL that component of the guidance applies to assets that are measured at amortized cost, as well as certain off-balance sheet credit exposures like lines of credit and guarantees. And basically what the CECL model is, is a single model where we, we look at and record lifetime expected credit losses. Those lifetime expected credit losses are measured through an allowance, um, and changes in that allowance are recorded in earnings. In addition, that, that ASU um, it also amended the guidance for available for sale securities, so there's some changes that came to that as well. And as a quick reminder from an effective date perspective, so for calendar year-end SEC filers, the standard was effective January 1st of this year, and the companies that adopted it booked a cumulative effect uh, through opening retained earnings. Yeah, so Chip, I think when companies were adopting on January 1st, I don't think anyone was necessarily predicting what has subsequently happened with the economic environment, especially given how quickly things have changed. So Christoph, can you provide some perspective in terms of what you're hearing from your clients? Yes, uh, thank, thanks, Heather. So since our clients adopted the uh, the standard on January 1, as you said, a lot has happened. Uh, COVID-19 was declared a global pandemic by the World Health Organization, uh, and we've seen governance, governments in many countries enact uh, measures to try and help the uh, virus spread. This all has taken some economies to a halt and uh, has had a, a very adverse and significant effect on, on economic forecast. So one of the things that comes to mind immediately in this context is uh, the reasonable and supportable forecast concept uh, element of the CECL estimate. Uh, many economists are, are published revised forecasts uh, these days on almost on a daily basis with more and more severe economic outlooks and alternative scenarios, COVID scenarios, uh, that are uh, materially different from published scenarios in uh, in February. So at this point, there's a lot of disparity in the way the economists are forecasting the, the next eight quarters, at least as one would expect in a volatile environment such as the one we're experiencing now. Uh, but we are, we are, however, seeing some um, common stories here. Um, everybody's predicting a, a small growth or uh, potentially a small contraction in Q1 uh, 2020, which we're in the middle of right now. Most economists are also predicting a, a severe contraction in Q2 of 2020, so the next quarter, uh, April through June, and then some form of rebound thereafter, uh, leading to a, a stabilization towards a long-run average uh, GDP growth uh, in 2021 or 2022. 
So that's that's where we're dealing now. So in this context, companies should really look at the available information out there on a real-time basis, uh, should form a view based on all that information of what their economic outlook is over the reasonable supportable forecast period. They should also update their models, their forecast models, and update their estimates uh, up to the point of the end of the quarter to reflect the uh, the revised economic outlooks. We're seeing a lot of companies also perform sensitivity analysis based on a new forecast. Uh, some adjust the probability weights of their forecast to the extent they're using alternative or multiple scenarios. Uh, and, and a number of clients also consider uh, qualitative adjustments and disclosures as a way to measure and communicate the rapidly changing environment around CISO. Yeah, I think, Christoph, definitely a lot for companies to think about. And in addition to all these macroeconomic events that you just discussed, what else are you hearing from clients in terms of focus areas? Yes, Heather, in addition to the changes in the overall economic forecast, institutions are also evaluating specific risks to their credit portfolios arising from the uh, the current situation. Uh, just to name a few um there, there are portfolio-specific or industry-specific uh, credit matters. We're seeing, for instance, some distortion, obviously, in the oil and gas industry with the oil price uh, changes uh, with the, uh, the Russia-Saudi Arabia uh, price war. Uh, we're seeing some changes in portfolio-specific risk characteristics, uh, as we're seeing a num- number of industries, but also specific borrowers being disrupted by this event. And, and changes in collateral value securing credit, as obviously, is, uh, there's distortion in, in the uh, bond and and uh, and equity markets as as we as we've seen over the past few weeks. Yeah, Christoph, I I agree. I mean, we're we're also hearing a lot on forecasting the life of the assets. As I said, it's sort of a a life of asset model. So thinking about prepayment uh, options as well as the probability of options that are not within the lender's control that could extend obligations. A couple of other topics we hear are Estimations regarding potential draws of uh, unfunded lines of credits and, and, and use of guarantees, which, which are also subject to the CECL model, as well as troubled debt restructurings, including those that are reasonably expected and that consideration of not just consummated TDRs, but reasonably expected TDRs is, is, is a new aspect of the, of the CECL model. Why don't we turn then to credit models and processes that companies have developed to make estimates of credit losses, what are we hearing in the current environment? In the current environment, the key question is whether the models are based on macroeconomic indicators such as GDP and employment or other macro factors are appropriately sensitive to the current economic events. And in that context, our clients are asking themselves a number of questions. The first consideration related to CISO models is whether Model relationships estimated during stable periods hold true during periods of market dislocations, uh, such as the one we're experiencing now. Models are generally trained on historical data and and uh, and historical relationships, and therefore 
They may tend to reproduce historical patterns rather than reacting to a new economic regime, uh, which is definitely what we're experiencing right now. Another important consideration regarding the models is whether they're sufficiently granular and reactive to forecast credit losses for exposures to specific sectors or geographic areas impacted by the by the current COVID-19 crisis. We, we've all seen through the news that sectors such as cruise lines, the travel industry, the energy sector, uh, and consumer retail, and, and also companies whose supply chain depends on affected territories like China, South Korea, and Europe. We, we've seen that those industries have been greatly affected and will continue to be for, for a reasonable period of time. So that, that's definitely something that the models may not capture and that our clients are, are trying to address through specific review of their portfolios. A couple of other considerations is one is companies should assess whether management's processes appropriately address uh, revision to obligor risk ratings. Uh, and potential lag in ratings um, as they as they're assessing the, uh, the the risk of default in their portfolio, and as those ratings may not uh, be sufficiently reactive to the uh, to the environment. And then la- last point I want to make on on models is that we're seeing a lot of clients assess whether the uh, the models produce reliable estimates relative to the expected life of the portfolio being evaluated. And and that has to do with the point that Chip was raising earlier, which is historical repayment and prepayment uh, or extensions uh, or assumptions are being challenged in the current economic conditions and, and may not hold true in the current environment. So then, Christophe, you know, it's you're thinking about models. One of the things I know that we're getting questions about is that things are changing so rapidly that some companies may be questioning how to incorporate this into their models or if they'll be able to incorporate things so quickly into their models. So are we anticipating that companies are going to change their models or potentially be making qualitative adjustments? Yeah, that's a great question, Heather. Uh, economic forecasts have changed so dramatically in the past few weeks that um, companies really cannot rerun their models on a real-time basis uh, operationally. That's challenging. And and we've got to remember also that most people working on these estimates are working from home. So it's it's doubling the, the challenge. So what we're seeing in, in practice is a, a mixture of Companies running their models as close as possible to the uh, to the closing date to to, to the end of the quarter, but also um, making some qualitative adjustments at the top, running sensitivity analysis or doing some some ad hoc analysis to try and bridge the gap between the timing of the scenarios at which their models were run and and the end of the quarter. It's really going to be a, an exercise of agility up until the end of the uh, up until the end of the quarter. Yeah, I think definitely a lot for companies to think about. And Chip, this is something you and I, I think, I've talked about on every podcast and webcast, which is that we're talking a little in the context of financial institutions, but this is really something that is relevant to all companies, and in particular, right now, if you think about a lot of retail companies may be dealing now with customers that are themselves have financial distress and other issues. So Chip, how should companies be thinking about that? 
I agree 100%, Heather. I mean, you know, we, we always talk about how this applies to FS companies and non-FS companies. But if you go back to some of the things that, that Christoph pointed out, I think they are equally applicable for like accounts receivable. So things that Christoph focused on were things like, well, looking at your portfolio segregation in a different way, you know, are assets that used to be similar, no longer similar because of differences in industries and particular exposures. You know, another thing we hear about is some of our corporates may be extending payment terms for receivables to to provide relief, to to provide liquidity to other members of the supply chain. And again, thinking about those extensions, thinking about whether those themselves are troubled debt restructurings and things like that. Some of these elements of the guidance that at one point seem more relevant to the banks, to your point, uh, you know, they're, they're coming home and they're relevant in the corporate space as well. Okay. I think that's helpful. And, you know, another topic that I think we've discussed is third-party data. I know this has been a big issue for companies to make sure they have the right controls, et cetera. And so what are some of the critical things to think about when dealing with third-party data, given the current environment? It's the same considerations as as always uh, in, in terms of owning and understanding the data. And that's really the key here. Particularly this period, I would say that the economic forecasts that are being produced by third parties is something that uh, companies should understand and document. They understand the baseline economic forecast and other scenarios that they have used uh, have been adjusted to consider the impacts of COVID-19, for instance. Yeah, I mean, Christoph, to your point, it's really important to understand, right, like not only did they factor in the impact of COVID, but how did they factor in and and what were they thinking the impact would be on key inputs into the model, whether they're uh, unemployment, gross domestic product or, or whatever the case may be. You know, I think another thing that people are talking about and, and building off what we were saying about like taking these economic forecasts and owning them is is benchmarking. You know, I think benchmarking and, and understanding this economic forecast versus others that are being used is always a critical element of this and, and maybe even more so critical now. So, you know, benchmarking economic forecasts to other available macroeconomic data, looking at the consistency between the forecasts that you're using for the CESAL estimate as well as those used for, for other accounting estimates, whether they be fair value, you know, and, and moving outside of the accounting, the forecast that people are using for risk management decisions internal budgeting uh, and other decisions like for example you know underwriting in the in the financial services space okay it's, it's i think that's helpful insight and definitely a lot for companies to think about as they look forward to march 31 and we'd definitely be remiss if we wrapped up today without addressing disclosure because that's going to be the final key item that companies need to make sure they've addressed appropriately given all the changes so chip what are some reminders there well, I mean, it's a good point, Heather. I mean, disclosures have always been a critical part of this model and will be key given both this is a new standard and a very different uh, accounting model than we followed in the past, as well as everything we talked about today, you know, with the economic environment. You know, there's a lot of new disclosures and we're continuing to hear a lot of discussion about how to call out and provide information about key assumptions and the drivers of the estimate. And, you know, Given how rapidly changing the environment is and, and may continue to change, it'll also be key to consider subsequent events for disclosures. Yeah, I think that's a good reminder, Chip, because consistently to the point you've made, we've heard from financial statement users, analysts, and others that these disclosures are going to be very important from a CECL perspective. And again, kind of now more than ever, given everything that's going on. 
So Christoph, Chip, thanks so much for joining me today. Really appreciate the insight. And I know this is going to be helpful for our listeners as they look forward to their March 31 close. Please join me back here next Tuesday as we continue to provide coverage on the latest issues affecting your financial reporting in the current environment. So that you never miss an episode, subscribe to this series wherever you find your podcasts. And I'd love to hear from you. So please write to me at heather.horn at pwc.com or to stay up to date on the latest content, let's connect on LinkedIn. For PwC, I'm Heather Horn. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is brought to you by PwC, all rights reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.